Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. So today I want to give you a sermon about, called, What's the Big Deal with Circumcision in the New Testament? And uh, you wouldn't believe how hard it is to find a, a tasteful graphic for this sermon. <laughs> it's a little difficult. <laughs> now, if you're a kid like me, I grew up in church, right? How many of you guys grew up in church? That's a lot of us. And, and I heard preachers talk about stuff, you know, and, and they would talk about circumcision. I remember as a kid wondering, what in the world is circumcision? And then, you know, you start reading the Bible and you see this word pop up. You know, if you use the international version, you'll see some reference to it 138 odd times. And it's something you see. And then when you get the New Testament, circumcision is kind of a, def- a status symbol. The circumcision versus the uncircumcision. If you read the book of 1 Samuel, you'll see that the Philistines were always called those uncircumcised Philistines. When I was in college, one of the guys I went to college with, we all lived together in a dorm. We always called him the Philistine because, uh, <laughs> well, you know why. <laughs> so, what, so what is going on with this idea of circumcision? Why is it in the Bible? Well, if you're like me, you went to church for a long time, you didn't know what it was. I'll give you the Mayo Clinic sentence about it. The Mayo Clinic sentence. Circumcision is the removal of the foreskin of the male penis. So it has to do with your member removing some skin that's there. Now, you, probably you don't think about circumcision very often. You know, I, I never think about it. Circumcision in our country is actually kind of a, an interesting thing. According to the Mayo Clinic, the Mayo Clinic says that 80% of American men, obviously, have been circumcised. Globally, only 40% of men have been circumcised. And in China, it's only 3%. But if you live in Israel or in an Islamic majority nation, where Islam is the majority uh, religious perspective, that number rises to 100%. Because within Judaism and Islam, both of those people groups, ethnically and religiously, they both are descendants or followers of Abraham. The Jews call Abraham, Abraham. The Islamic people refer to him as Ibrahim. And both Abraham circumcised his children. He had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac is the father of the Jewish people. Ishmael is the father of the Islamic or the Arabic people. And they were both circumcised. Circumcision is mandatory in the Islamic faith. It's also mandatory in the Jewish faith. And so that's what circumcision is. And the reason the Bible talks about circumcision so much is because in Genesis chapter 17, when God has called Abraham in Genesis 12 to come and follow him, he's going to make a great nation of him, Abraham follows the Lord. In Genesis chapter 15, God says to Abraham, you are going to be a great nation, going to make a great nation of you, and all families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring, through your descendants. And then in chapter 17, about 10 years later, when Abraham is 100 years old, God says, you're going to have a kid. You're going to have a son. And it's going to be a son born of Sarah. And eight days after that boy is born, I want you to circumcise. I think the authorized version says, circumcise the skin of his, uh, the skin of his flesh. And that will be a sign of the covenant. This was so important to God. God says to Abraham, I want, I'm making a promise to you. 
And I'm going to give you a sign, a seal of this covenant. And to symbolize Abraham's participation in the covenant, God told Abraham at 100 years of age to circumcise himself and all of his male servants and the child of every, servant, every male servant born into his family. So a few hundred people are all circumcised as adults. And God says, I want you to do this. If you don't do this, God says, I'm going to cast you out of the covenant. Any man who is a descendant of yours, if he is not circumcised, he will be cast out of the covenant. He will have no part with the people of God. And so Abraham says, okay. So he circumcises Isaac on the eighth day when Isaac is born. And then you know how the story of the descendants of Abraham go. I think you know. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac is the chosen son. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and what's the other guy's name? Esau. And the Bible says that God chose Jacob and not Esau. And Jacob had 12 sons. And those 12 sons of Jacob are all circumcised. And then there are, when Jacob and his family, when they go into Egypt, in the end of the book, into the book of Genesis, there's 75 people who go into captivity. Fast forward 400 years later, four centuries later, there are thousands. And the numbers vary how many people came out of Egypt in the, in, the, in, the, in the Exodus. The number, I've seen it be as low as 150,000, and I've seen the number be as high as 3 million people come out of Egypt. But all those Jews, down for those centuries, they all practiced circumcision. It became so popular that even some of the Egyptians also began to practice circumcision because it was kind of a, a status or style thing, if you can believe that or not. When the Jews left Egypt, they went into the wilderness. But before they went into the wilderness, there was this thing that took place called the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. And in Exodus chapter 12, God says that no man can eat the Passover except he has been circumcised. And this idea of circumcision becomes a a very important thing to the Jewish people. You couldn't even participate in the annual religious worship of the nation unless you had been circumcised. The command of Scripture says in Exodus chapter 12, verse 48, even if you had a friend come over, a stranger from another region who was not a Jew, if they came over to your house and they wanted to take the Passover with you, they could not take the Passover with you unless they had been, guess what? Circumcised. And this, this, this idea is all through the Scriptures. And when Israel left when they left Egypt, they, God led them through the wilderness to a place called Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God gave them the law. And part of this law included circumcision. Every male born had to be circumcised on the eighth day. If he was not circumcised, then he would be cut off from his people. If you want to see, it, see how God really feels about circumcision in that Old Testament time, you can look at Exodus chapter number 4, where Moses, after he had He was about 80 years of age. He had left Egypt, and he'd married a girl, a Midianite, named Zipporah. And this girl whom he had married, Moses and she, had two sons together. They had two sons. And then Moses sees the burning bush, and Moses comes back to Egypt to deliver the people of Israel from captivity. When When on his trip back to Egypt, the Bible says, an angel of the Lord appeared to Moses to kill him. And the Bible says that Zipporah, his wife, 
circumcised either Moses or circumcised their two sons and threw the foreskin at Moses' feet and said, Thou art a bloody husband unto me. Now, the reason she says that is because Moses had neglected to participate in the covenant of circumcision, either for himself or for his sons. And the translations, in the King James, it's less clear. The NIV is very clear. It says it was about the circumcision of his children. So this shows you how serious this circumcision thing was in the Old Covenant. And then you come to Mount Sinai, where God gives to Israel the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20 is where you find the Ten Commandments. God gives them the Ten Commandments. And then... (laughs) Then if you see the whole Old Testament law, there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. 613 commandments. All 613 of those commandments kind of are outflows of the Big Ten, right? The Ten Commandments. I don't want to lose you. But this law of God and circumcision connected to it, they defined Israel as a people. If you were a Jew... You were circumcised. If you were a Jew, you worshipped a certain way. The law of God in the Old Testament in those first five books, mainly Exodus through Deuteronomy, the law of God is so strict there that the worship of the Israelites was carefully regulated, their diet was carefully regulated, and their dress was carefully regulated. They couldn't just wear whatever they wanted to wear. They couldn't just eat whatever they wanted to eat. They couldn't worship however they wanted to worship. Everything was carefully regulated. They lived by the law, the law. Now let's fast forward to the New Testament era. Let's take our copies of God's Word and look at Romans chapter 2, verses 17 to 29. 17 to 29. In chapter 1, the Apostle Paul has been talking about how wicked the Gentile nations are. And then in chapter 2, Paul turns his guns upon the Jewish people and he says, You are exactly the same as the Gentiles. Even though you have the law of God, you are no better than the Gentiles because you disobey it. Now, let's have the reading, 17 through 29, and then uh, hopefully we'll, we'll finish for too long. Romans two seventeen. Now, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, If you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? It's a question, and the answer to that question is yes. As, excuse me, as it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The Jews believed that because they had the law, they were better than the Gentiles. But if you read the Old Testament, you see over and over again that the Jews, though they had the law, though they had teachers of the law, though they had strict guidelines, they still disregarded the law. They disobeyed God. They served idols. They practiced the horrible, abominable sins over and over again. And this is a reference from the Old Testament. It's a quotation of Isaiah 52. God's name is blasphemed. Not by the Gentiles. It's blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, because of the behavior of the Jewish people. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you have not been circumcised. 
So then if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. The reason Paul brings up circumcision here is because of a conflict that existed in Christianity between Jews and Gentiles. This is something Paul is driving at here as he talks about the universal problem of sin. Everybody is a sinner. Everybody is a sinner. And he says here in Romans chapter 2, in the first half of Romans chapter 2, he says to the Jews that you'll find that Gentiles sometimes obey the law of God without ever having had access to the written or oral law of God. And he says they actually end up living by God's law because the law of God is written on their hearts. Men have a conscience, a conscience, a conscience, and a conscious awareness of sin because the law of God is stamped on their hearts. That is why, my friends, you do not have to teach your kids what's right and what's wrong. They know by nature. They're in, it's intuitive within them because the law of God is written on their hearts. And that's what Romans chapter 2 talks about. It calls talks about heart law <clears throat> in that first section. Now, Paul is answering this objection of the Jews. The Jews were saying in the Christian era, we're better than the Gentiles. And there becomes a conflict between Jews and Christians. And Paul brings it up because of this conflict. If you look at Acts chapter 10, you have the apostle Peter who has this vision. He's, he's up on the rooftop and he's praying. And he falls asleep and he has a dream. And in that dream... There is a, uh, there's a sheet that lowers from heaven. And inside that sheet are all the things the Jews were forbidden to eat. Pigs, catfish, all the things they were forbidden to eat. And the, an angel appears to Peter and says, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, I'm a Jew. I've never eaten anything unclean. But three times he has this vision. And Peter realizes that maybe something is taking place. Maybe God is setting aside the Old Testament law and setting it aside. And so Peter, as he's sitting there thinking about what he has just seen in this dream, there's a knock on the door downstairs, and some Gentiles have come to talk to him. And they want to take him back to their Gentile master so he can preach the gospel to him. And this is kind of the beginning of Gentiles becoming Christians. But this does not make the Jews happy. <clears throat> if you look at Acts chapter 11, verses 1 to 18, you see that the gospel begins to spread. It spreads out from Jerusalem. Some of the Christians from Jerusalem went to a place called Antioch. When they got to Antioch, they just started preaching the gospel to everybody, and Gentiles started to become Christians. Now, the way a Gentile man and woman would look and the way a Jewish man and woman would look and live were very different. Very different. Very different. And the Jews, who were the first Christians, some of them began to say, you know, we don't like the fact that these Gentiles, nobody's making them follow the dietary laws. They're down there eating catfish and hush puppies, and we can't, and we're upset about it. We don't like the way they're carrying on. They're they're not concerned about eating meat offered to idols. They're They're not worried about having their steaks. You know, only barbarians have their steak well done. Amen? 
we like them on the bottom side of medium, you know. And so we're, we're upset by this, and there's, there's a conflict that comes up. And actually, the, the first major religious council takes place in Acts chapter five, in Acts chapter 15. Listen to the reading from Acts 15. An error had begun to creep in, and the apostles mentioned in Acts chapter 15. This is about 12 years after Jesus has ascended back to heaven. Acts chapter 15, certain people came down from Judea, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch who were teaching the believers, quote, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This is one of the, the earliest controversies of the Christian era is that the Judaizers, these Jewish Christians, if you look down there, Acts 15, in verse 5, some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. This was a big, this was a big issue. Christians, Gentile Christians, were believing the same gospel, but they were not following the Jewish laws. And some of these Jewish people were saying, well, you have to follow the law. You can't set the law aside. It really annoyed them because the Gentile Christians were using the same Old Testament they were using, believing in the same God. But it's causing them, they're like, why? The Gentiles, they, they have to do this or they can't go to heaven. Of course, Acts chapter 11 and 15 and the book of Galatians are all about this issue. And the apostolic judgment of the apostles at Jerusalem and of the Apostle Paul, and of sacred scripture, is that in order to go to heaven, you do not have to keep the law. Faith alone saves. Faith alone saves. So, this, so, when, Paul, so when Paul talks about circumcision in Romans chapter 2, <clears throat> he's telling the Jews something shocking to them. He's telling them that the thing that they have been practicing religiously <laughs> for centuries is no longer necessary. How hard is it for you to give up a tradition? How hard is it for you to give up a tradition? And when Valerie got married, my, I, brought a, I brought a certain tradition into our family for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And it was the use of cranberry sauce, but the jellied kind, not, not the kind with the berries in it. I just want to open the can slide it out, and cut off slices. I'll take two ridges. <laughs> or three, you know. That, that was my tradition, coming to the family. When, I, when, when, when Valerie, when, we, when, she, when she married me, she brought certain traditions in as well. When I was a kid, you know, I'm like, I'm going to talk about that. That's, that'd, be too, that'd be too embarrassing. There's different traditions. Now, you don't like to give up traditions. This church has traditions. And how many of you, how many of you want to change all kinds of stuff? A lot, a lot. Matt raised his hand. Matt's like, I don't want to change everything. <laughs> Number one, shorter sermons. <laughs> Nobody likes to give up traditions. Nobody likes it. And, and to be honest with you, we don't really like to submit to other people's traditions. It annoys us. It annoys us. So here are the Jewish people who for hundreds of years have been following these strict dietary codes, who've been forced to dress a certain way, who've been worshiping a certain way, and who had been 
very zealous in maintaining this circumcision and have suffered for it, now the apostle is telling them, you don't have to follow those things anymore. And this kind of is a major theme of 1 Corinthians 2, where Paul talks about um, meat offered to idols, and about the weaker brother, and about Christian liberty, and that kind of thing. I would say that most of the conflicts in Christian churches in the last, I don't know, probably 25 or 30 years has been over the, been over the issue of Christian liberty. Christian liberty. When I was a kid growing up, if you went to a Baptist church, it was... You know, it was a foregone conclusion that if you joined the Baptist church, you could no longer drink alcohol. Because almost every Baptist church had a rule against it in the church covenant, that you would not drink alcohol. I was a member of a Baptist church that said you couldn't drink alcohol, and you couldn't dip snuff. Now, that's barbarism. That's barbaric. Because everybody knows that dipping snuff is... Well, that's, it's great. <laughs> In Arkansas, all the pretty girls do it. <laughs> I just said two things that are going to get me in big trouble later. And <laughs> if I'm not here next Sunday, it's because I'm in heaven. <laughs> Giving up traditions is, is difficult. We don't like to do it. And so the, now Paul is telling the Jews... This, this is not a big deal. It's not a big deal. And then in verses 28 and 29, Paul says something shocking to the Jewish people. Listen, listen carefully to what he says. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of what? Of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the written code. That's the law, the Old Testament law. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. So Paul tells them that the new identity of the people of God is a circumcision performed by the Holy Spirit and not by human hands. He tells them the true Israel, the true Jew, is not the one who has external circumcision or who is a keeper of the law but is a person who has received this cutting away by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. What Paul is saying is that physical circumcision has nothing to do with Christianity. Nothing to do with Christianity. It doesn't mean... Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. I'll give you some proof text for these things. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. Colossians 2.11 In Him, that is in Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self rule by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through your faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He, was, he has taken it away and ended it to the cross. 
having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is a circumcision wrought by Christ through the Holy Spirit. If you turn the page to Philippians chapter 3, verse 11, you read this. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. There's a new identity. It's a spiritual identity. Turn to Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. I guess it's back a couple pages. Philippians 3, verse 3. These are all references to Paul's teaching about the law and circumcision. For it is we who are the circumcision. Now, Paul refers to himself here as the circumcision. He's talking about Jewish people. For it is we who are the Jewish people, a.k.a. circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. He talks about himself and what kind of Jew he has been. Circumcision is set aside from Christianity. It doesn't have a place in it. Circumcised or not, it has nothing to do with being a Christian. Listen to Galatians 6, verse 15. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision mean anything. What counts as a new creation? That's all that matters. Now to, to us, to us in the Christian era, we're like, couldn't you have chose a different topic today, Pastor? Because this ain't this ain't didn't mean anything to me. Well, in the Christian in the early Christian era, it was very important. And for us, it also has some importance too, because some Christians make the error of saying that circumcision is baptism. That circumcision is baptism. Now, I don't know your particular view of that, but it's, it's not. If it's a circumcision made without hands, I've never seen anybody get baptized without hands being used. Have you? Unless they self-baptized, then they use their own hands to get up out of the water. <laughs> That's an error. Circumcision isn't, to equate it with baptism, is an error. You know, this idea of circumcision being different is even prophesied in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse number 6, says the Lord will circumcise the hearts. And then you have this whole idea of the new covenant. And my friend, we are in the new covenant now. Romans chapter 8, verses 7 through 13, where God says that he will teach every man. He will do this work inside of every man. The new covenant. The new covenant. If you understand the book of Hebrews properly, you see that we're in a new relationship with God. The old covenant relationship with God depended upon your performance. As long as you do good, you'll be accepted by God. In the new covenant, your standing with God does not rest upon you and your performance. It rests upon the performance of Christ. It's all on His back. He did all the work. And the apostle, and I'm, not, I'm not sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. I always say the apostle Paul, but I don't know if it was Paul or not. Some of the real big brains say it was Luke who wrote the book of Hebrews. And then uh, David A. Criswell said Barnabas wrote the book of Hebrews. And Albert Moeller says that you shouldn't waste five seconds trying to figure out who wrote the book of Hebrews <laughs> because it doesn't say. <laughs> but the book of Hebrews basically says that the old covenant was weak. The old covenant was weak because it couldn't save anybody. All it did was condemn. And anytime you hear the law of God preached, how does it make you feel? 
It condemns you. It crushes you. That's what it's supposed to do. The law is supposed to reveal our unrighteousness and drive us, Galatians 3, towards Christ. It's a schoolmaster. Which brings up an interesting question now as you think about New Covenant and the the true Israel is what about ethnic Israel? What, what, What about them? What about the Jewish people? Well, if you look at Romans 2, 28 and 29, the question is, what does it look like? If Paul says you're not a Jew, then what are you not? I know know it sounds like a trick question. But if it says you're not a Jew, then you're not a Jew. This old old idea is is gone away. Gone away. You say, well, I don't know if I want to go along with that or not. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 11, therefore remember that, the, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcision by those who called themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups. What has he made them? He's made them what? One. They're made into one. And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through Christ, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, also members of His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And that's the church. Verse 20, 1 Corinthians tells you that. 1 Corinthians 6. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you, you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by, the, by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. This Jewish-Gentile distinctiveness is gone in Christ. 
Outside of Christ, it exists. But in Christ, it does not exist. The two brought together in one body in Christ. Now, I know this is not... (laughs) The other view is the more popular view. But I want you to hear the voice of Jesus Christ himself talking about this. Listen to Jesus Christ himself in John chapter 8. Where Jesus recognizes an ethnic Israel and a spiritual Israel, which is Abraham's children. John 8, 31. To the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Notice verse 37. I know that you are Abraham's descendants. This is him saying, I know you are Abraham's ethnic descendants. You are his blood, his seed, his offspring, his kids. Right? Yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. And they say, Abraham's our father. What does Jesus say? If you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. Now, what is is going on here? He's already said in verse 37, I know you are what? Abraham's descendants. And now he says, you're not Abraham's descendants. As, As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protest. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? (laughs) Because you are not able to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He is a murderer. From the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Get because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. And the reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Now what Jesus is saying to, to them is there are Two kinds of descendants of Abraham. There are two kinds of Abraham's seed. There is the natural, ethnic Abrahamic seed, and there is a spiritual seed. If you read Galatians, you see Paul say these words, those who are of faith, these are the children of Abraham. Spiritual faith. Spiritual identity. Even when you read the Old Testament, you see this. Remember in 1 Kings where Elijah... He goes out under a tree, and Elijah, he wants to die. And he says, Lord, I'm the only one who's been loving you and keeping the law. I'm the only one. And what does the Lord say to him? There's still 7,000 I've reserved to myself that have not bowed the knee to Baal. 
Now that was 7,000 people within a great majority of people who had turned away from God. God only recognizes as his true people those who are following him from the heart. So this is an Old Testament thing. It's in the New Testament. This is something Jesus even says, telling us that this, the, the mystery revealed is the body of Christ. Now, there's two ways to think about this, I would say. One way is uh, the way that everybody hates is if you say that the church has replaced Israel as the new people of God. And I don't think that's the right way to say it. E- either the body of Christ is an extension of that, or that's the whole mystery. That everybody who follows the Lord from the heart, that's the people of God. I think that's the right way to say it. But you know what? <laughs> it's hard to say things exactly the right way, isn't it? To avoid condemnation or errors. It's, these are my own opinions about this. <clears throat> if you disagree with me, is that cool? Of course it's cool. <laughs> everybody has a right to be wrong. <laughs> My main aim in talking about circumcision is it's in Romans. So you have to think about it. And if it, I, want, I want you to understand something. If it's in God's word, it's worthy of thinking about. Because God wants you to think about it. He wants you to think about it. Because if God's important to you, you'll want to think about it, what he is saying to you. Why has God said this to us? Why has God said this? Why has God sa- said this? It's through the Spirit. These are important. I want to end by telling you this. The law, it reveals our guilt. Shows us that we're unable to save ourselves. But the gospel shows us our Savior. Listen to these great words from Romans chapter 3. This will be our, I'll end with this. Romans chapter 3. But now, apart from the law, this is Romans 3.21, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This, is, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace, that is, without works, Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith, he did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Because on his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No. Because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there, is, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Salvation is found through faith in Christ. 
for the forgiveness of your sins. If you're here today and you don't think you're a sinner, you are not saved. And you cannot be saved. And you will not be saved until you put your faith in the Savior to save you from your sins, the sins you've committed against the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we pray you'll bless these words to our hearts. I pray you help us Christians to grow in our knowledge of scriptures. If we've erred, help us to correct. Save the lost, Father, we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.